Well, it's my, uh, it's my distinct honor to introduce our guest speaker for today. Uh, Oren and Kara Witt are serving the Lord. For those of you that don't know, they're from this church, and they're serving the Lord down in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, just a few weeks from now, they'll be launching a new church plant, which is really interesting because next week I'll be preaching on Acts 13, where the church in Antioch, for the very first time, sends out Paul and Barnabas to start establishing churches. And so uh, we're going to learn a lot about that next week. But, but our guest speaker for today is, is uh, Pastor Witt. And for those of you that are uh, listening to this on the recording, this is not the 1950s, 60s, or 70s. This is tw 2022. Uh, pastor Witt, please come share with us what the Lord would have on your heart this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Good morning, everybody. It's so cool to be here. It's always cool to be back here at Delaware Bible Church, and I'm so glad this worked out for us to be able to be here. Um, I married my sister yesterday. There's got to be a better way to say that. Um, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful to get to do the wedding, um, be the officiant for the wedding yesterday. That was uh, really, really beautiful, and, and all that was really nice. Um, it's, it's really cool to be able to come back and and share uh, just what God is doing at the church that raised me and the church where I grew up in youth group. And I was thinking, I, I didn't share this in first service, but um, the person that's preaching for me in, at the church in Lakeland is one of my former youth group kids. Um, from, from, uh, not from here, but from the, the church that I was commissioned on this stage to go to, uh, the little Baptist church I was a youth pastor at. And Anyway, just really, really special. It's kind of cool. I'm here, and he's there, and I don't know. Somehow, it's really neat, but uh, um, I'm excited to share with you. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in, we'll be in um, Proverbs chapter 3, and I don't know how long it'll take you to find it, but uh, I'm going to share with you a few updates of just what things, what some of your support has helped us do, and I, I want to say a huge thank you for, um, certainly for the financial support um, that that, you, that Delaware Bible Church has given us, and um, I, I wrote this in a, in a thank you note to you guys, but I, I just, I want to, I want to say it publicly. One of the things that, you know, you guys get to see, you guys see that, you know, you support us financially, and you're going to get to see the pictures, but one of the things that I can't show you and that you don't see is another way that this church supports me in such a huge way is that when I'm dealing with a challenging counseling case or I'm running into things as a first-time pastor that I'm not sure how to deal with, is that Pastor Scott always answers the phone when I call. And, and that, is, that is, let me tell you, huge support. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful to know, know all of you and uh, thankful for his continued mentorship. So this was, this was what our, our church looked like, and uh, it's, it's, not, it's not bad. I don't know about the pink on pink, but, um, but we, had a, um, we had a church in Pennsylvania that's connected to us through the Karis Fellowship that um, came down, brought a bunch of uh, skilled laborers, and helped us do a serious renovation um, to get just to get our, our our building updated and also um, configured in a way that works better for the ministry that we'll be doing. And so, doesn't it look great? So I love what they did with the place. I think this is going to be um, no. This was uh, obviously in progress, and they did a. They, it was just a Herculean effort, and um, this was the final result there. 
um, just in, just incredible. And and while you guys have supported us um, regularly, monthly for for some time, you guys gave a special gift recently that covered 10% of our re renovation costs. And we just want to say a huge thank you um, for all of that. Um, this is it, it's a, it was a real encouragement to um, to our team as well um, that we can enter this new season. We launch our public launch for our church is in is on September 18th, coming up in about two uh, three. Oh boy, coming up in three weeks, and um, and we're really excited. My team's really excited about that too. Uh, I had to put this in. Um, I I had to make sure it was documented that I actually did some real work. Um, but it was uh, it was yeah. Anyway, um, it was great. We've also done some community outreach things, and this was a car wash that we did recently. Our there's been <coughs> really nothing going on at this building for about the last decade, and. It's amazing. I've, I've talked to people who drive by our church on a regular basis who couldn't place where it was because it's just so not even on the community's radar. And so uh, we, we've been doing a few things just to kind of say, hey, community, we're here. Uh, we love you. We're here to serve you. We're here to be part of this community. And, um, and, and this, was, this was one of, one of the events that we did. That, um, we had done a car wash prior to this, and um, that was the first time we'd washed this car. And uh, this family, which is this lady... And this boy and this girl, who apparently live right down the street from us, came, came to the car wash, found out about our church that way, and started coming to our church. The, the woman's husband, who has also been coming faithfully, and her children are not saved. They're coming to church for the first time and hearing the gospel for the first, well, first, second, I, share, I make sure to share the gospel quite regularly. Um, you never know. I mean, in this case, I do know there's unsaved people in my, uh, in my congregation, and I think we should always assume that. But anyway, if you want to pray for, for Tyler and Symphony and Tenor, uh, the kids' names, that um, I firmly believe I'm going to get to lead Tyler to the Lord here very soon. So uh, really excited about that. We've also um, had, we just have the best workers at our car wash. Um, you know, this is, this, is, this is what else you've been supporting. And uh, we're so thankful for that as well. It's, it's hard to find good help these days, but um, we also have done, throughout the summer, we did these, like, popsicles in the park where we just take a bunch of freeze pops and uh, just a little card that, you know, says, hey, we're neighborhood church, just want you to know that we love you and pray for you. And uh, with, with this, the church that we are partnered with in Sebring, Florida, um, supplied all of the uh, pencil pouches with school supplies, and we were able to just go to some of the parks and, and right before school um, got in session and... Uh, passed those out to families and kids, and, and that was a, a real blessing to the, um, to the neighborhood and as well. And um, anyway, so that, that's some of, the, some of the local outreach we've been doing. And this is from last Sunday night at our house, our core team. We met together. I thought it was so cool that you guys are having, um, um, what do you call it, Make a Difference Sunday. I was going to say Commitment Sunday, but Make a Difference Sunday. That there's all these ministries out there with, that you can sign up and and be a part of, and actually do some hands and feet ministry, and, and help out. And I, I hope that more than 20% of you will do that. There's this rule they always tell us in church circles that 20% of the people will do 80% of the work and 80% of the unit. You know that. Um, let that not be true in our churches. Let's all get our roll up our sleeves and and get our hands dirty if we have to, and and do the do the work of of gospel ministry. But this was this was our core team gathered at our at our house, and we we you know. Leading up to launch, need to get all the all the all the all of those ministries in place. Not okay, maybe not all of them, but some of the key ministries in place. And and you know who's going to lead what. And we're we're praying that God will bring us the the workers because the harvest is plentiful. 
And um, we've, got, we've got a lot of, we've got great leaders, we've got a great team of leaders in place, and uh, we need some helpers, so. Um, and we'll even take you if you're just down for the winter. I'm just, just putting that out there, but. Uh, um, so anyway, that's our, <coughs> excuse me, that's our core team. Just uh, be in prayer for them. Um, all right, as we turn to God's word this morning, Proverbs chapter 3 may be very familiar to you, or at least Proverbs 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's a very familiar verse to us, and I, I want to go through I want to go through Proverbs chapter 3. We've been teaching at Neighborhood Church, we've been teaching a series through the book of Proverbs, which I didn't realize would be so hard um, until I started prepping the sermons and realized that uh, Proverbs doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. I have to appreciate the simplicity of Scripture in many ways, that the plain understanding of uh, do this, don't do this, or hey, if you live your life like this, it's going to be a mess. Um, it's pretty easy to understand. And so, um, so let's, read, let's read Proverbs chapter 3, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. We pray with me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, help us not to be wise in our own eyes and think that this is a familiar passage that we have probed the depths of. God, why is it so hard to trust you sometimes? Why do we think that we need to keep our hand on the wheel when the Almighty is driving? What is it that we think we can add to your wisdom? Humble us, God. Give us perspective this morning through your word and help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to set up the book of Proverbs here. It's, a, it's ancient wisdom for modern problems. As it turns out, the Bible is relevant um, regardless 
of what the culture is like. And let me just tell you, if you think it's as bad as it can get, read your Bible. Um, it's nothing like Corinth. This isn't Rome. This isn't the, the city that Sodom and Gomorrah that, that, that Abraham couldn't even find ten righteous people in it. And I'm not trying to say our culture is not uh, bad, but don't, don't believe the... the don't believe the falsehood that uh, oh, things just as worse as worse than they've ever been. No, they're different than they've ever been. And yet, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Ecclesiastes makes it really clear: um, God is still in control; He's still on the throne. Let's find some comfort in that. But as we as we look at Proverbs, Proverbs is a book of probabilities and not promises, and that's important. As we said, but there's not promises. You know, Proverbs focuses on the general rule, not the exceptions. There are some notable exceptions to uh, some of the things we read in the book of Proverbs, which is why we know it can't be promises. Because if, if the book of Proverbs is promises, then we've got some serious contradictions with the book of Job. And real problems with Ecclesiastes and a hard time with the gospel. Because, you see, Proverbs... Proverbs gives us kind of the pattern that God built into creation that says... Um, generally speaking, if you live life the way I'm telling you you should, things will generally work out better. And if you live your life in a way that is contrary to what I've told you, things will generally work out worse. There's a proverb that says, the way of the transgressor is hard. God did that on purpose to bring us back to the right choices, the right path. And so... As you look at the book of Job, we see the exception, which is the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first, we have to understand that there are no good people. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord searches the depths of men's hearts and knows. And then we see the, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is another notable exception. Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Why is it that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous? Is there really any different? And we, and we have to learn from that book that God does not settle all of his accounts on this side of eternity, which is, should be comforting to us, that as we look around the world and see that bad things happen to good people and the wicked seem to prosper, we have a very limited perspective on eternity. There's another, another notable exception to some of the things we read in the book of Proverbs, and there's this character that shows up a few times in the New Testament that you may be familiar with. His name was Jesus of Nazareth, who was uh, perfect in every way and perfectly obeyed the laws of God and died a criminal's death, suffering not only the wrath of Rome, but the full wrath of God against sin that he did not commit, but took upon himself on our behalf. And so if the book of Proverbs is a book of promises, then we, we have a little bit of a hard time with that. Because here's the thing. If, if we take the formula that, that seems to be the pattern in Proverbs, that if you do good, you will get good, then we can grow this attitude in our hearts that says, well, God, I held up my end. Now you owe me. That is false. God owes you nothing. And it is important for us as, as, as believers to always have the perspective that if all God ever did for me was to send Jesus Christ 
to die on my behalf so that my sins can be forgiven and I can stand blameless before a holy God, if that's all he ever did and never did anything nice for you again, we would all be so much better off than we deserved still. And so we, we, we cannot allow ourselves to, to have this moralistic perspective that says, well, I did, I did this, and now God owes me that. I saved myself for marriage, and so God owes me a, a great spouse, good-looking spouse, and a, you know, a smooth marriage. That's the prosperity gospel. I gave lots of money to missions in the church and, uh, and, and that, and so, and so God, should, God owes me wealth and riches. That's the prosperity gospel. And, and go on down the line, if we, if we want to subscribe to the model that says, if I do good, I will get good, that is the prosperity gospel and not the gospel of the Bible. And so it's important for us to recognize Proverbs is probabilities, not promises. Probabilities because God built it into, into creation. The Bible Project, which does a, a fantastic job of some of its overviews, its books of the, of the Bible overviews, um, put this out in, in their video on, on the, the moral logic of Proverbs, and I, I appreciate the way they, they kind of sum this up, that if, if you live a life of, of wisdom, <coughs> starting with the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all knowledge, you will then be led by that to live a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, and, and that will, generally speaking, lead to success and peace. And if you start from a place of foolishness and evil, and that leads you to live a, a, a life of selfishness and pride, then generally speaking, that will result in ruin and shame. And we see that moral logic repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs. And, and so, so that's kind of the moral logic that God built into creation. And, and that's, that's part of what, what draws us to him. Um, as we kind of, uh, unless you want to go back on the podcast and listen to all the other sermons, uh, I'll just sum them up for you. Uh, what is wisdom and where does it come from? Wisdom is applied knowledge. It's one thing to know what to say. It's a whole other thing to know when to say it and when not to say it. Applied knowledge. Um, where does wisdom come from? The Bible tells us here in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Wisdom comes from God, and how do we get it? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, that one is a promise. If you want wisdom, seek wisdom. Ask for it. God has wisdom to spare for you. And so, I, uh, <coughs> Proverbs chapter, uh, the second half of Proverbs chapter 1 talks about the, um, the, the company we keep, and I um, was able to share a story on that one that uh, many of you are familiar with, and some of you have heard uh, stories of, and some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, um, but it's also cool to get to stand about mm, six feet away from the spot where I kind of bared my soul to the school the night after I had a, a very interesting um, time with the Delaware Police Department. Um, <coughs> Mr. McDonald was there for that one, I think. <laughs> Choose your friends wisely. And the real lesson there is that uh, my friends should have chosen their friends more wisely. Or I should have, I don't know. I think that goes both ways. But, but it's important that the company that we keep, our friends have an incredible influence on our lives. And in, and in this chapter here, Trust 
God always in everything. In everything. And, and I want to I look at four things, four areas in which we ought to trust God. We ought to trust his example, trust his wisdom, trust him with our money, and trust his correction. And so as we, as we um, kind of unpack that, that's, that's where we're going this morning. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust God's example. God created man in his image with the charge with the responsibility of representing God in creation. And after the fall, there is and particularly after the cross, there is the, the responsibility that believers in God have to accurately represent the character of God to the world around us. Our, our lives ought to be testimonies of the gospel. Our mouths, let me always, always say this, always say this, our mouths should also be testimonies of the gospel. I don't just mean the way we talk. I mean we should actually share the gospel. Anybody in here saved? Do you know how that worked? Okay, well, you know more about how it worked than the unsaved person, so you, you, can, you can speak the gospel and, uh, and trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words. Our lives ought to represent and reflect God as well as our, our words. We see here steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are the character of God. If you look at one of, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture in Exodus where uh, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai and he asks God if he can see him and God says, you don't understand... Um, that will melt your face off. You can't see me. Um, but I'll hide you in the rock and let you see where I've just been. And so he covers him with his hand and he passes by and then lets, lets Moses see where he had been. And that was enough to make him like glow radioactive for a couple of days. The Bible says God dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable. And God, when he does that, he describes himself in one of my favorite passages of scripture where he, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God describes himself in those words. And we read here, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Reflect the character of God. Micah 6, 8, probably a, um, probably a familiar passage to you. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. We're going to look at the end of the book of Job and get a little dose of humble pie this morning, um, <laughs> a little taste of what, <coughs> what uh, Job got. But, uh, but, but here, here is, again, more more of the character of God that we are charged with reflecting in the world around us. Trust God's example. Trust his wisdom. Uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Look here at verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
to back up. I skipped over something in verse 2 where he says, for length of days and years of life, they will add to you if you keep God's commandments. And peace they will add to you. So does that mean that I, let's say, God had preordained that I was going to live to be 67, <coughs> but since I was a good boy, <laughs> some of you know that wasn't the case, so that ship has sailed. Um, but since I was good, God's going to give me five more years. He's lengthening my days and adding years to my life. And so now I'm going to get to live to be however 67 plus 5 is. 72. So see, God extended my life, right? No, that's not how Proverbs works. Proverbs is not promises like that. What that means is, if you keep God's commandments and live your life according to this book, there are things you won't die of, most likely. It's very likely, very unlikely that you will, if you live your life according to the principles in Scripture, that you'll die of uh, alcohol poisoning. Or, now you might die in a car accident, but it probably won't be because you were drag racing. Um, it probably, there's all kinds of diseases that uh, because of the fall will someday take us the way of all men, but uh, it probably won't be like alcoholic cirrhosis of the liver or uh, lung cancer because of smoking or I, I don't know. What, you know what, fill in the blank. There are things that if you live your life according to principles of scripture, they're not coming for you because you're not putting your way, yourself in the way of those things. That's what that means. It'll add years to your life. It adds years to your life because it's not taking years off of your life. Okay, so looking here at these verses, verses 5 through 8, trusting his wisdom, he knows so much more. Uh, turn back about a book and a half to uh, the, end of chap of, uh, the end of Job, Job chapter 38. This is one of my all-time favorite sections in Scripture, Job 38 to the end of the chapter. Now, Job has just been through uh, the ringer, as we say. <coughs> Job has lost everything. And he was one of the good guys. He was a righteous man. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that uh, he lost his wealth. He lost his health. But can I say probably worst of all, he lost his family. Some of you know what that's like, and some of you are sitting next to someone who knows what that's like, and some of you know someone very close to you who knows what that's like. And I don't just mean like you lost a, a grandparent one time. I mean like it lost a child or, or a parent way too early. Job had lost everything. Can we give him a little grace that he had some questions for God about his righteousness and God's justice? Okay, like let's not be too hard on Job and not, not kid ourselves to think we wouldn't have these questions. Like, and so to paraphrase Job's questions, which go on for like a whole chapter, so we're not going to read that whole thing, but it's basically, God, I, I lived righteously. I believed in you, and I've lived with integrity. And I just kind of have some questions because I know you're a God of justice, but this doesn't feel like justice to me. I feel like I deserved a, li a little bit maybe better than this. Did I, did I do something wrong that I didn't know about? 
to have to go through this. And in chapter 38, God, it says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And I, just, it was, I can't wait to hear the, the tender, gentle, and kind words from God about trusting the things that come from his hand. And you just, you're, you're just kind of ready for this, like, God kind of wrapping him up in this embrace and saying, Job, I love you. And I know you don't understand, but it's okay. No, well, let's see. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Oh, man. Job, and it's recorded for all of our benefit, Job is given the biggest dose of perspective on who God is and who we are in light of that. And we can all benefit from this lesson without going through what Job has gone through. Certainly not to this extent. Dress for action like a man, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So, so scratch that on the uh, kind and gentle embrace from God. Um, but, but he's about to give Job truth. And the truth that he gives Job seems very harsh until you read Job's response. That perspective is a healing salve to his wounds on the inside and the outside. God goes on for like three chapters. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Are you the one that shut in the sea with doors and told the, told the sea, you come here and no further? Are you the one that, did you command the morning? Are you the one that tells the sun to come up every, every morning? Oh, no, that wasn't you. Um, have you entered the springs of the sea? You know it's all the way down at the bottom? No, you don't? Okay, well, I do, because I made that. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? Was it you that said, let there be light? Oh, no, that was me. I said that. I said, let there be light. <laughs> is it by your understanding that, the, that birds are able to fly? Are you the one that, that worked out physics for that? Or... You know where you know where mountain mountain goats go to give birth? Because believe me, they didn't have nature documentaries back then. You can't chase those things up a sheer cliff. It, 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 just for I mean, over and over and over and over. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Uh, any farmers in the room? Hey, hey, Ed, you ever pray for rain? Could you make it rain? No. God can. Chapter 40, the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I placed my hand on my mouth. Because I'm unworthy to even answer. Perspective. Job is learning to trust God's wisdom. Then the Lord continues to challenge Job. <laughs> Dress for action like a man, I'll question you and you make it known to me. And he goes, he, he goes in more and more. And he talks about these massive creatures that, you know, behemoth and leviathan. And I got news for you. I live in the land of alligators. That is not what the Bible is talking about when it says Leviathan. You read this description. We, we literally don't have time to read the whole description, but like, there are Florida men. 
about what you read on the news sometimes who can catch alligators. Nobody can catch Leviathan. Also, it breeds fire, so I haven't seen any gators do that. Um, <clears throat> but he, but he, go, he goes through this, this, this incredible description of this creature, Leviathan, and he says to him, <laughs> lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. <laughs> you, you won't do it again. He says, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Perspective. God is in control. God is all-knowing and all-wise. And we have got to learn to accept that when things don't make sense, we just can't see the whole picture. And that when things do make sense, we still can't see the whole picture. Even the times that we look at our lives and say, oh, that's why God did this. I, I try really hard never to say that because I don't know that. I don't know why God does what he does. Sometimes I get to see some evidence of like, oh, man, I can see where that connects a little bit. But what else God was doing, I will never know this side of eternity. God weaves all the stories together. God is the one in control of it all. We've got to learn to trust his wisdom. He knows so much more. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Trust him with your money. Back to, back to Proverbs chapter 3 here in verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again, not a promise. Not the prosperity gospel, but generally speaking, when we honor God, when you run your finances the way that God lays out in the principles of his word, things tend to work out um, better. <clears throat> Why does he go from such abstract things like trust in the Lord with all your heart and um, you know, trust the character of God to also honor him with your money? That's just oddly specific in this particular passage. Or is it? Because if you want to know, if you want to know what is important to me, and where I place the, the most value on things, and how I prioritize my life, um, look at my bank statement. And I'm not actually offering for all of you to do that, but, 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 the, but the reality is, whether we want it to be true or not, can, can we just say there's a reality that we make time for the things that are important to us? Whenever we say, I don't have time um, to, whatever, um, attend church regularly. Well, sometimes my kids have sports games on Sundays. Okay. I'm not, not trying to teach and preach a bunch of moralism, but the reality is we make time for the things that are more important to us. Well, I don't really have money for that. Okay, well, you have money for something. And it, it's, it's, just, it's just a... A statement of reality that we have the time, we make the time, and we have the money for the things that are important to us. And we really want to take a hard look at your value system and at your priorities. Take a hard look at your finances. And God knows this to be true. Jesus put it this way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to tell you how much I appreciate the financial support of Delaware Bible Church. 
and not just because it helps, it helps to sustain my family and it helps to sustain our ministry, but because I know that when, when you have written a check to support us, it is also a commitment to pray for us. It's also a commitment to, to continually be lifting us up before the throne of God, and that is so important to us. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You tend to keep a closer eye on the things that are costing you money. And that is, that is so important. So we ought to trust God with our money and how we spend our money, how we prioritize our spending and things like that. The last one here is trust his correction, his reproof. Do not be weary of his reproof. Anybody here ever been a teenager? Anybody um, get weary of hearing the same thing over and over, especially when everyone's saying it? There's kind, of, <laughs> there's kind of this concept that if everybody's saying it, there's probably something to it. I did eventually learn that. Um, we can get weary of reproof, particularly when we repeatedly, repeatedly go against what is right. And we... We continually have, you know, people in our life, life that are, are speaking truth into our lives and trying to bring us back to what is right and making right choices, and we can get weary of that. It's really important that we don't grow weary of that, because when you grow weary of reproof, you begin to isolate yourself away from accountability structures. You isolate yourself from the body of Christ and any kind of spiritual authority that might bring correction into your life. Don't be weary of God's reproof. This will be kind of the last cross-reference here, but if you want to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, a, a sobering passage. <coughs> it really is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Um, you see, the guy that wrote the chapter that we're studying here, chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs, is a, a guy named King Solomon, and his dad was King David. And his mom was Bathsheba. And um, b before we hit this in Proverbs chapter 12, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting that, that Solomon was so wise. I mean, he really kind of kicked off the whole wisdom literature thing for the, for the Jewish culture. How did he get so wise? Well, he asked, you know, God said, when he ascended the throne, God said it. You're about to, you're about to, you know, you're my anointed, you're, you are about to lead my people, what shall I give you? And he asked God for wisdom. How did he know to ask for that? How was he so wise already that he knew to ask for more wisdom? Well, in Proverbs chapter 4, hear, O sons of fathers, O sons of fathers, instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, well, we know Solomon wrote this. We know who his dad is. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And he listened to the voice of his father and when given the opportunity to have anything he asked from God, 
He knew, because of the words of his father, he knew to ask for wisdom. Okay, let's look at how wise this guy was. King David. Most of us are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. For those who aren't, um, David, instead of going to battle with his army, he stayed back home and pretended like he didn't know what he would see if he went for a walk on his roof. And he saw Bathsheba, and he decided that he really wanted to sleep with her, so he did, because he's the king. And what do you say? To the, what can you say to the king? And then he decided, um, oh, all right, uh, she's pregnant now. I can't believe I didn't know that was going to happen. And um, all right, well, let me let me see if I can cover this up. Calls Uriah, her husband, back from the battlefield. Hey, go, just go home and relax. You know, spend some time with your wife. And uh, Uriah wouldn't do it because he knew he was supposed to be on the battlefield. And when that didn't work, uh, he sends Uriah back to the battlefield. And goes, it's, you know what, take this, take this message back to Joab. You know what the message was? Have Uriah killed. This is the man who is called a man after God's own heart. King David, even though he did these things, is called in the New Testament a man after God's own heart. Why is that? And, and I, I, want to, I want to challenge us with something. Um, God is not okay with your sin. God's not okay with my sin. He doesn't look at the culture around us and say, well, listen, like, I know you're not perfect, but everybody else is, like, pretty bad, so um, at least you're better than them. You know what? You're okay. That's, that's not how God's standard works. That's not how God's righteousness works. If that was the case, um, why would Jesus need to come and die on the cross for our sins? God is not okay with our sin, and yet he knows something, that all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. He knows that there is a reality because of the, the brokenness of the fall, that we all do sin. And no, he's not okay with it, but he also knows, but, but he knows it's a reality. And I want to submit that God cares um, a lot more because we've all sinned, and that ship has already sailed, so he cares a lot more about how are you going to respond to your sin? Because God sends the prophet Nathan to David, and thank God for people like Nathan. Thank God for people who are willing to stand in the gap, who are willing to stand in front of you and look you in the eyes and say, that's wrong. And you need to stop doing that. You need to repent of that sin. You need to get your life right. Thank God for people like that who will speak into our lives. It's not fun to be that guy, but thank God for that guy. And God, said, God tells, Nathan, <laughs> tells Nathan what David did and sends him in there, and Nathan tells this story about a guy who did some, like, you know, horribly unjust thing, and, and David says, <coughs> says, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Oh, now, he, now he's found a sense of justice again. As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man because you did this. He goes on for a whole long paragraph about, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
do not despise the Lord's discipline or grow weary of his reproof. David, the guy who had to stand there and take that, is the one who is telling his son, when God sends somebody into your life to correct you, don't despise it. Hey, don't kill that guy, um, even though you could because you're king. Don't shoot the messenger. Take it to heart. Don't despise God's correction. Skip down. Scroll down. I'll scroll down to... My millennial is showing. Uh, scroll down to verse 13. <laughs> and David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's why David is still called a man after God's own heart, because when confronted with his sin, he repented of it. He saw the sinfulness of his sin and repented. And that is what we are all called to do. That is why Jesus died on the cross for our sins, so that the forgiveness of sin would be available. And here we have a beautiful verse, the, 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 the last part of verse 13, we have this beautiful assurance of pardon in Scripture where Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. It's an incredible picture of the forgiveness available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Lord has put away our sin. We shall not die if we only ask for his forgiveness and believe in faith in Jesus Christ. Trust his example. Trust his wisdom. Trust him with your money. Trust his correction and reproof. One of the things that, um, that we talk about at Neighborhood Church, um, at Neighborhood Church we have six core values that um, we put Jesus first. We trust the Bible. We journey together. We collaborate rather than compete. We hold God's gifts with open hands, and we hold fast to the mission while adapting our methods. And this is one that we trust the Bible, is, is that we depend on Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. And trusting the Bible, and I want to I kind of close with this, trusting the Bible means we let Scripture tell us some things. Now, obviously, we should let Scripture tell us how to behave, how to live, how to act. Uh, the, the book of Proverbs is, is full of that, full of all kinds of um, in, important lessons on specific areas of life and how not to get in trouble in, in this area and how not to end up financially destitute and how not to, you know, wreck your marriage through unfaithfulness and how not to do all these things and conversely also how to succeed in life and how to please the Lord in the way that we live. Certainly we should let Scripture inform how we live. But we've got to let Scripture inform how we think up here. And more than that, we've got to let Scripture tell us how to feel. Yes, even how to feel. You, you see, you're a counseling church, and so you understand this. Why do we do what we do? Because we want, I love that everybody knew that. Because we want what we want. That's our feelings. Because of how we feel. Because my heart is aligned a certain way. And that makes me think a certain way. And that makes me act a certain way. And so, you know, anybody who has either counseled or been counseled, I've done both of those. Thanks, Ed and Lori. knows that uh, the behavior that you're showing up to counseling for is the fruit, 
not the root of that tree. You think you know what the problem is, and then Ed and Lori tell you that that is not your problem. You have a very different problem, and you need to get your heart right. And then you realize three weeks later that they were right when they said that. How to feel. The culture, our culture wants to tell us not just what to do and how to vote and things like that, but how to feel. The culture, and when I just say the culture at large, I, you know what I mean. Uh, that which is not aligned with the word of God wants to, they, they love using stories, right? Especially sob stories. Oh, sob stories are great. Um, because sob stories evoke some emotion. And if they can get you, if they can write that story in a way that makes you feel a certain way, they can get you to think a certain way about this, uh, about a, a marginalized group, or about, and, and believe me, like, God is a God of justice. If there is injustice, um, that, we should probably deal with that, well, going back to the character of God. But, but let's take, for example, the story, and I don't have a specific one, but the story of a, of a young woman who makes an unwise choice and finds herself pregnant. And shouldn't we feel so sorry for her. Yes, we should have compassion for people, even when they're dealing with the consequences or fallout of their sin. Yes, we should have compassion. Because God had compassion for us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And yes, we ought to love these people. But to, but to, but to take the world's version of the story where you see having this baby is going to ruin her life. She's in no position to raise a baby. And, or, or she might have complications. There might be something wrong with the baby. And so the loving thing would be to let her kill her baby. Or, no. But the world wants you to feel a certain way about that story. Because if you can feel a certain way, you'll think a certain way. If you'll think a certain way, you'll act and vote a certain way or support certain things. And the reality is we have got to come back to Scripture and let Scripture inform how we, yes, how we feel. Beyond just our behavior, beyond even the way that we think about things. Our, our culture can be so compartmentalized that I got my religion over here, maybe. I've got, you know, my work life here, and this is what I do for fun, and then I've got my family, and, uh, you know, those are all kind of separate silos which have all kinds of contradictions between them. No, no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not biblical Christianity. The Word of God ought to permeate all areas of our life. We shouldn't just have to force ourselves to act a certain way because we ought to act a certain way because the Bible says we should. Uh, no, we should let Scripture inform the way that we think and the way that we feel. You know, all of these things that the culture wants to, wants to throw at you and tell you how you ought to feel, you know, Scripture speaks to it as well. Scripture, scripture speaks to those same issues. And you'll find that Scripture uh, treats many of them with love and compassion. It also treats them with truth and God's character. And so, anyway, I'm not, I'm not here to talk politics and things like that because this is not the desk for that. But the Word of God, if we trust the Bible, will inform how we think and how we feel. And I'll, I'll close it with this. 
Uh, Matthew Henry uh, wrote his commentary on the Bible talking about God's commandments. He says, our wills and affections must be subject to them and must in everything conform to them, not only in our heads, but our hearts. We must keep God's commandments. Trust God always in everything. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we, we are so humbled. Uh, we think we know so much. And we make the mistake so often of that the more we, that we, we spend time in your word and we, we worship with your people and we come to church and we grow in our knowledge of, of the word of God and we, we start to, in our, in our sinful pride, we can start to feel like we've got it all figured out. We can start to feel like we're better than those sinners out there. And we're not. We're just forgiven. And there is new life in Christ, and that life is better, but it's not of our own doing. God, help us to trust you always in everything. Trust in you with all our heart. God, help us to look at our own understanding as something that cannot even support our own weight, not lean on our own understanding. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes. God, thank you for being merciful to me, a sinner. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we are dismissed, let's just take a moment to pray for the launch of Neighborhood Church in Lakeland uh, coming up two weeks, three weeks? Three weeks. Father, uh, what a privilege and honor it is to know that you work in the lives of your people and this church, this fledgling church, a group has been gathered, a core team has been assembled, duties have been distributed, but Father, we know that the best laid plans of men are nothing if you're not in it. And so, Father, we ask you to do your work through your people in this group called Neighborhood Church. Father, we would just be thrilled if you would bring unbelievers if you would begin a work in their lives to open their hearts and minds to the reality of who you are, what you've done for them in Jesus Christ, and that you would begin to produce fruit in the lives of this core team of people. And Father, and, and that you would build your church as you said that you would do. For your honor, for your glory alone. Father, we know that Oren and Kara are going to need lots of wisdom stamina, and just your guidance along the way. So please provide that to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.